Welcome to How We Got There. I am your host, Mike Davis, founder of Go-To-Market Guides. I interview thought leaders and founders in the Salesforce ecosystem to help ISVs learn new things to try and mistakes to avoid. This episode of How We Got There is brought to you by Techwity Advisors, a global sell-side M&A advisory firm with core expertise in B2B enterprise cloud, SaaS, and IT services companies. They are focused on SaaS and ISVs, Salesforce, ServiceNow, SAP, Microsoft, Adobe, and the MSP clouds. Techwity has already completed 22 transactions in the Salesforce and Salesforce ISV ecosystems. Visit techwityadvisors.com, that's T-E-Q-U-I-T-Y, advisors.com to learn how they achieve great outcomes for their clients, both in valuation and in terms. All right. I am here with Jason Holt, who is the president of Anvil AppWorks. Jason, welcome to the pod. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Just to kick us off, tell us a little bit about how you found your way into the Salesforce ecosystem and then dovetail that nicely into who Anvil AppWorks does and, and what you're all about. Unlike a lot of the folks you've had on recently, or just even in the ISV space, I'm from the business side. I've been in my industry about 25 years, equipment dealerships, working on the dealer side as well as the manufacturing side, and then got in love with technology. But through that, that whole time, I was always the process, thinking through stuff, how do things go better, never satisfied with the status quo as I was in marketing and I was a product manager for a while. And then at a dealership where I was VP of sales and we did a few hundred million a year in sales of tractors and different things was when I was exposed to Salesforce for the first time, was executive sponsor. We brought it in like everybody does. We got to get better at this whole account management thing. We chose Salesforce and I put it into place and with a partner and, and other people at the dealership, but I was a sponsor as the sales manager into there and really fell in love with it. Not from the standpoint of I love software so much as I loved what it allowed me to do. It was the first time that we'd had a partner who uh, we could tweak it, we could do stuff ourselves, we could make it work the way we wanted to. And very first instance, our partner chose our use case to go to Dreamforce and talk about it. And it was really exciting to see that, how we were able to take something that had been a real challenge in the dealership, apply some technology to it, digitize it, and it just made a huge difference in the dealership. And after that, I was in love. Nice. Love that introduction, origin story to your world. It worked for your business. How'd you think of starting Anvil AppWorks? Probably related. Yeah, absolutely. Ended up moving to Minneapolis where I left the equipment world space and became a Salesforce consultant. Worked for a few groups there and was doing implementation for a SI partner based out of Chicago, Wave 6. Manufacturing was our target market. So it fit pretty well and did several projects, was one of the first partners helping with a project financial service cloud, so an industry cloud as well from there, was really my exposure to industry clouds philosophy strategy. And then also at that same time came across a little known program at Salesforce called OEM. And that would allow us to build an application and industry cloud ourselves into a market that was not being served very well from Salesforce. One thing about the dealership space is they all connect, they all do the same types of things, i.e. an industry cloud. 
But going into them and just selling, you know, vanilla Salesforce and here's a partner, go build it out the way you wanted to, wasn't a great market fit. The dealerships didn't know what to do. They didn't really know what was possible. So they were getting fits and starts into this space. And that's where I was able to take this, say, I know this space. I've been in here 25 years. I kind of know what this is. And oh, by the way, during my consulting career, I became a Salesforce system and application architect. So I learned about this stuff. And honestly, my wife got tired of me learning all the stuff in my day job and then saying, man, I wish I'd known this back at the dealership. Man, I wish I'd known how to do this when I was still in the business and saying, well, this OEM partner thing came about. Why don't we try it and see if anybody likes it? And here after five years or six years now, a few people liked what we're doing. So that led us to both the OEM side and why we decided to start the business. It was interesting, though, right off the bat, because we didn't know what our target market fit or anything like that was. So I went for two years bootstrapping on the side while working a day job and then got a few customers, built a little bit more, and then got to where I could do it full time as well in about, let's say, spring of 19, and then was able to take it. This year, we've had a large growth as well and gone from two or three employees up to 18 now. So we've had a great overnight success, five years in the making. Wow. I love that origin story too. You started it, got some encouragement at home, which is always important, but kept the light bill paid with your day job while working on it as the side. And are you still fully bootstrapped then? Nope. We did bring on some investment last year. So we were able to do that in growth. The bootstrap worked very well for us for quite a few years. What we found though was with growth, we were always behind the curve a little bit. So we didn't take huge, but we took enough that we were able to hire the person before we needed it, stay slightly in front of the curve so that we could add some employees and get some help, get them trained up before we've got the next customer. I mostly speak to what Salesforce calls ISV force type partners on this podcast. So for the folks that don't know, can you tell us a little bit about what the OEM program is and why it makes sense for Anvil AppWorks to go down that route? It's been perfect for us. And essentially, it is very similar to the ISV Force program. The difference is that you are also able to resell a special license from Salesforce bundled with your application. So they call it OEM Force, and it is uh, most similar to a platform license, but some of the requirements are different. And it's out on the developer website to see some of those nuances in there. But the big part is you work with Salesforce, develop your business plan, They agree that it's a great extension of what they have to offer. And unlike in our instance, it's a market that wasn't being well served from Salesforce. So it allows us to target that market, bundle our application and be that single source for our dealerships, our customers. And in doing so, we also take on first line support responsibility as well. But behind us, we still have Big Blue. If anything goes wrong, we're utilizing the Salesforce platform full support capabilities as well, and all that the ISV partner program has. It's just, they don't have to go to an AE first. They can come straight to us and we sell them the whole kit and caboodle. I love the model, especially for vertical SaaS. And you have large examples like Encino and Viva, but it's also, you can build a really successful business identifying and serving a niche like you have here. Share a little bit about how you thought about your TAM and your SAM. Maybe you did it. Maybe you just saw a need. 
I had gotten a lot of advice and several people in the ecosystem helped me out a little bit with some ideas there. And one of them was eMyth. And then that kind of grew into the EOS process as well. And one of the things they talked about was when you're starting your business, stay where you know and stay close to home. And you don't have to come out and invent some new market or invent something you don't know very well. Just look around and find a need. That's what I did. I told you I was in the equipment industry for quite a few years. So I knew the dealer base, but I also knew its struggles and I knew what the customers were looking for. It just happened to be also a good time in our target market. I looked around and some of the existing vendors were age technology, complacent, whatever you'd like to say, but that's not uncommon in the CRM space. Legacy software has been there a long time or some dedicated CRM for this one purpose got created. And I hear those stories all the times of CRM for real estate or CRM for this or CRM for that. And that's what our market was as well. And I just knew applying what Salesforce did well with what our expertise was, I felt that I could build a partner that I wanted when I was in the market, when I was in their shoes. And that's what we did. We did it with the Salesforce platform, building essentially customer and inventory 360, you know, to use some of the Salesforce terminology. But I also wanted to have that place where they didn't just sell me the product and leave, that we have a high level of support. So I also modeled the Salesforce signature support model, where for an X percentage above price, you get also support and more of a proactive planning. And I felt that was a win-win. The customers got someone who could be their partner in technology. We got a roadmap. We could focus on stickiness, absorption across the entire dealership and just continue delivering value and get deeper and deeper with our customers because that's what they were looking at. And then the market itself, you know, we started with very, very targeted. We started with John Deere. John Deere has quite a few dealer systems that they provide that are all, you know, just do one thing, very typical in the industry, but they had integration capability. And I knew that dealers in that space would all use the same code to talk to the same systems. So I felt by being the most efficient in our code base, we could focus on one brand, look within their organization. It was one I knew very well and land and spread that way and learn the ropes. We were new to this and we didn't want to make too many mistakes before we had a velocity or a stable foundation to grow off of. We started with one customer and a month later added another and a few months after that added another and it was just a way for us to grow and learn our market at the same time. And then here lately we've been growing substantially as well from that. I felt that was very effective and then last year we also launched a complimentary product called Dealer Connect, which is focused to all brands and is not brand specific and is for uh, dealers of other colors, other brands as well. So we've taken that very hyper-focused niche and grew out a little bit, but we're still in a very, very nice niche industry for us. Such a cool story. I love your focus on a niche. Now you're expanding beyond it. On a personal note, my first quote-unquote job, my parents gave me a no-interest loan on a John Deere tractor to mow some yards, so I love that green and yellow. (laughs) (laughs) Before I get into what's been successful in driving your growth from like a demand gen perspective, I want to double-click on one thing you said about the premium support, and this is applicable for ISVs and OEMs listening. So for the folks that don't know, Salesforce, for a percentage of your AOV, your annual order value, 
you can add a couple different levels of premium support and that gets counted as ARR, MRR, recurring revenue for Salesforce. And so they've kind of trained the community to do it. It sounds like you're offering a similar concept. Are you charging a percentage of spend or how are you thinking about that? Yeah, it's a great question. As an ISV and an OEM attacking an industry, I didn't have to look too far for best practice on how to do it. And Salesforce has been a great model for me. So looking at how they approach the industry as well as how they support it, we took that and leveraged it. So one of my challenges in the days of consulting world was you never really got too deep with the customer. And if you did, it was managed services, but SIs are just wired differently. They're time and material, they're building SOW, and it's get onto the next side. When we're in the ISV space and we've got that monthly reoccurring revenue, it puts us in a different spot. And what I really liked about that was I do a very similar percentage of net revenue, 25%, and that gets them in. And it allows us then to get a reoccurring support stream. And as a salesperson, I always felt the strongest thing was, can I get a yes once and not every time everything that they needed? So what I was going for was get that yes, I want your product, I want your support, and here's the bill. And let it be an AP function after that, just a collect the invoice, deposit the check thing. And then all I had to do was keep them happy, keep them wowed, keep delivering value, and we would just keep getting stickier and stickier. So that allows us to do things like road mapping with customers. As an ISV partner talking about getting on their calendar and talk about how we can get deeper with you over the next three or four months or three or four quarters is a huge business value to me, as well as my dealerships. So it allows us to be that partner EOS as you do your niche. And we want to be that partner for our customers on their digital transformation journey. Looks like I should read it once or more twice. But that's our niche is here is how can we be partners as our dealers go through this digital transformation journey? Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, for ISVs listening, consider if you have the support set up to, I guess, support premium support offering. It's a good way to increase your average order value. And it helps you and the customer. Everybody wins with that. We just have a much better relationship because my sponsors inside the dealership can come to us with a great idea. And the first thing we ask is, great, it'll be 10 grand. You know, every great idea doesn't start with a bill and they don't have to go to their CEO for approval of anything. We can just make it happen because the payments are only coming in. Switching gears a little bit to talk about go to market for you as an OEM, How are you thinking about driving demand and kind of dovetail into what's one of the best programs that you've created or tactics that you've used to fill the funnel? We really focus on two ways. One is just like a lot of ISVs, we focus on the AEs within Salesforce as well. They're targeted with the same market. By finding us and knowing about us, we're able to help them close deals faster more effectively close deals they would have lost because of the market that we have in and our product fits the market really well. So we've done a lot of work with AEs as they're looking in their manufacturing space, et cetera, to find those people who are in their market, but not really a good fit. And that's where we come in. And we do that a lot with go-to-market plans, the one-pagers, the keyword search in Slack, et cetera, so that people can find us if they have a customer or a BDR find somebody interested on the equipment side. That's been really effective for us. We do have our own sales team as well that has both equipment dealership experience, a product, and then we're just hiring our second salesperson as well. 
and coming in from a completely different industry, but from a Salesforce ISV partner who knows about the benefits of the platform and how we can tackle some of the problems. So with that, we've done a lot of brand awareness through our marketing campaigns. We've done that with blogs and case studies, and then really has been a focus for our marketing team. If you've read Benioff's Behind the Cloud from quite a few years ago, he talks about the value of getting customers to talk to each other and to hear each other's stories. And we've taken that to heart. So if you go to our website, anvilappworks.com, you'll find blog post after blog post of our customers telling us stuff and focusing in on a problem statement. How have they tackled it? How have their users adopted it? We use that in sales. We use that in referrals. Customers use that to learn the next way they can benefit from us. And that has done a really good job of feeding the pipeline as well. Because once they know they have an option and really have something to hope for or to dream for, they'll talk about us. They'll share us with their neighbors and their friends and family. And we've gotten a lot of our customers from that way as well. I see it as just loading their lips, giving them things to talk about. Everybody likes to talk about success. And when we have customers telling other customers about our success, it builds a pipeline by itself. Love that. And through your journey of building Anvil Works, what are you most proud of? You know, really seeing the excitement at the dealerships. It's what drove me as a consultant to say, man, I wish I had this to building it and putting it out there. And the very first event we went to, we were in a pipe and drape little booth in the back corner of a hotel conference room. And we had a line down the aisle and it was just because of the buzz we were making. So that was great. But then also just the fact that we've been able to put it into practice, had the pleasure this morning, even in fact of talking with a customer and just gushing over the analytics capabilities that's built into Salesforce that is just on the platform. We didn't have to build any of it, but what he does have now is, you know, scheduled email reports and just what it's able to share with his dealership. And he just feels like they have a much better understanding of what's going on and their people. And that's what I'm proud of is because that's what I wanted. It's what I'd hope to deliver. And then to get that positive reinforcement back that, yeah, it's making a difference. That's what I'm here for. That's what makes us happy. On the flip side, what mistakes have you made along the way in your overnight success that's five years in the making? Yeah, wish I could say I just had one, but I got two and I think they're both worthwhile sharing. One is as a founder coder bootstrapper, I was feature chasing quite a bit at the beginning. And we had a lot of good ideas that never went anywhere once we built them out and developed them. While we had good target market fit, not every feature launched and was successful right off the bat as well. So if going back, I would have had a little bit more feature discipline (laughs) right off the bat and made sure that as we launched it, we also supported it and got people using it as well. So feature bloat is something that's pretty common and yep, it got us as well. The other one is as proud as we are of the signature support, it is also not a license to just take any request for no extra charge and being very clear and upfront and Salesforce does a great job with it. So if you're interested in that type of model, go download their brochures, their discussion about it. And they're very clear about what is in it and what's not. And if you go that route, make sure to do that same thing. Be aware of what's included. And we've done a great job now of taking our features and allowing dealerships to customize around our features. But it's not for the weird and unusual, as we call them internally, where we get an idea that's just off the wall. That's not included. Being very clear. 
Yeah, I created this one time at a previous company I worked at and then now with my current business as well. Creating a slide about what you do and what you don't do is really well received by the customers. Customers just want to figure out what's in and what's out and they're fine with it. They don't necessarily need it right away either. So if you're just clear with what you will do and what you won't do and when you'll do it, usually it's a very happy conversation. I want to double click on your learning from the feature aspect of it. What have you changed now? Like, how do you discern? How do you like bring a new feature to market that might have been different than a few years ago that might be useful for folks listening? Well, don't put your visionary in charge of product is probably one of the key takeaways there. (laughs) (laughs) A couple of things that really go into there. We converted all of our packages to 2GP, which was a really good opportunity for us to realize what worked and what didn't work and bring it all to second generation packaging with Salesforce. But during that same process was when we really wanted to understand our DevOps process. And we brought in a VP of product. He's got quite a few years of experience in the space, both from the technology space and the equipment dealership space. But more so, we also brought a real understanding of what software lifecycle needed to be. And we use internally, we felt a really good match with Microsoft DevOps and the uh, Salesforce SFDX and 2GP packaging. It just seemed to be that one platform that allowed us to really understand our features well, what work went into them, manage our source code, run it through 2GP and automate ourselves quite a bit. And when we did that, it really made it obvious which ones didn't have enough thought put into them yet or which ones we hadn't yet got enough feedback on. It allowed us a great place to keep active on them, but not find that out after we had spent all the development dollars on them. It forced us into some of that discipline there. So the sooner you can embrace SFDX and the sooner you can embrace 2GP packaging and learn some of those tools, it'll really help in that area. And it's been a godsend to us. Ah, that's awesome learning. I can tell you fully adopted traction throughout (laughs) your business. The EOS system, I just actually reread that book for folks that are wondering when Jason's saying visionary and hasn't talked about rocks yet, but I'm sure thinks about them all the time. The current one is rocket fuel and employee number three was my integrator because I knew if not getting that person into place that I would probably experience a lot more learning lessons than what she's been able to keep us into. So I luckily had one of those in my background that I'd worked with before that I knew was going to be successful. So as soon as we made the decision to grow this place, put the full sales pitch on her to come on board. And Julene Deers joined us December of 21 and has really been a great partner in growing this place. She's even got the great last name, as she said, because her name's Deers. So she said she was born and her initials are JD. So she even said that she's really strong there. (laughs) That's awesome. I want to talk to you a little bit about your approach with professional services. Do you have an internal team? Do you look to leverage the SI, the system integrator partners that are already out there? I guess, tell me a little bit about how you approach SIs. It's a very interesting question. At the size that we're at, we do a few million a year. We just earned Crest position there on the partner program. But we're still on the smaller side. It's important for us to keep connected with the customers. So we haven't launched a partner program per se. And I can see a lot of benefit to it as you get to be very large and you're working with a lot of partners. 
but it's very much top of mind right now about how do we become tight with a few partners as we look to expand geographically or we go to expand into more of a project-based expansions as well. We're really key around integrations and that would really help us if, if we had some partners who could help us with some of the unique integrations and how to leverage that accordingly. I really think it's important that it becomes a partnership on both sides. It's part of our niche with our customers, but it's the same with any partner that I would work with or am looking for about how can we better each other and have the trust on both sides that we'll build good product that can be implemented well. And then also that as a partner, we have partners who will work well with the customer and work well with us at the same time as well. I think we can do that. And I think it's by finding some that are a really good culture fit for your organization, finding some that share the passion for taking care of customers in the same way, and then just recognizing that it's a different business. And it is different. We always said as an SI, it was really hard to become an ISV. Well, as an ISV, it's really hard to become an SI as well. And internally, we've tried to tackle this with being very intentional when we're doing product stuff versus when we're doing support stuff and when we're doing project or SI type stuff, because you know, at our size of 18 employees, a lot of times it's the same person trying to tackle all three of those and they just take a different mindset. So we're excited to grow to the point that we feel like we can bring on some of those SI partners and help us. Internally though, we just had to really get our head around what it meant to be product and then also supporting it that way. Nice. So that might be into the next question. What are you working on now? What are you working on this year? What are the rocks for this year that you can share? Well, this year is all about <laughs> process and making sure that what we do, we're able to scale it. Again, utilizing some of the learnings from the EOS series process as well. What that means, though, is expanding how we're doing it and how we are able to run efficiently. Signature support means that we've got to get good. We've got to get efficient. You can't cover up inefficiency with just more billable hours because there aren't any. But really what, as a visionary, what I'm trying to do is how can we expand our footprint? As I talked about more dealer brands, how can we deliver value into more areas? Maybe that's additional partnerships with other manufacturers, whether it's just a total growth. And then the name of our game in industry is integrations. So we're looking at a lot of great integration opportunities, both from what Salesforce is offering on data cloud, some of what we do as an analytics partner, and then all of our manufacturing partners are seeing what we're doing and giving us more integration opportunities as well. So lots of opportunities for us internally, market-wise, and then also just how do we build the product better and deliver even more value. Oh, beautiful. Well, I'm going to wrap up here with the final three, three rapid fire questions, 10 second answers. You ready to go, Jason? I am. All right. Who is one company or person in the ecosystem that you track or follow? I follow John Jessup over at 1440. He's been in the industry a long time. Every event I go to, he's there and I happen to run into him or hunt him down and just hear what's going on. And it was no different. I just got back from TDX last week and ran into him there and sat down and chatted for a while. And it's always learning, always hearing what new idea he has as well. And it's just a great person to follow if you're anywhere near the commerce or space or any of the things that they cover there at 1440. He's such a warm, good person. What would you tell yourself day one of working in the ecosystem? Really focus on that target market fit. We had it very well and it's been paying dividends from there, but really understand what that business needs, 
how can you deliver it, and how to do it simply and straightforward. Probably bring that feature bloat back into there. Do an MVP, keep it straight, keep pure, and focus on adoption and target market fit. And lastly, what gives you energy in your personal life? I'm always tinkering. I'm always creating. And whether it's classic cars, I've got two cars from my youth that I get to play around with. One was the car I had and one was the car I dreamed I had in high school. So I had a Blazer in high school and I've got a nice example of that. And I always wanted a Corvette and I was lucky to find one of those as well from my generation. So I get to tinker and enjoy those with the family. I love that. Jason, absolute pleasure. Love what you're doing. Love the energy you bring to the community. Thanks for sharing. That's my pleasure as well. Thank you for bringing it to the place. Thank you for listening. And I hope you learned something from today's episode of how we got there. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. I'll see you here next time. 